0: Hello, and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers, and moves in livestock, grain, and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 225. One topic we're very happy to speak about is improved market access and trade. And there's plenty of new opportunities on the cards for Australia with the recently signed FTA with India, a deal with the UK reportedly just weeks away and negotiations underway with the EU. For Australian sheep meat, export market demand is critical. And today we have Bonnie Skinner, CEO of Sheep Producers Australia, joining us to explore what these new market access opportunities might mean for producers, as well as some of the critical assets that affords us this access to market, being good traceability and biosecurity. So we're going to hear where the industry is up to with the rollout of EIDs. Before I bring Bonnie in, I'll jump into a few market updates from this week. Price falls in the merino fleece sector were a main contributor to an 18 cent fall in the Eastern market indicator week on week. The supply chain in China has been pretty disappointed with domestic demand levels following the Lunar New Year and Chinese demand seems to have switched to the average and broader merino categories as they await better demand. Canola prices have also fallen heavily in March which can largely be put down to issues with demand in Europe and easing soybean prices thanks to supplies coming out of Brazil. Falling prices for canola aren't being matched by cereals or pulses, which might see even less canola planted this season. I'll leave it there for today, and let's get into the episode with Bonnie Skinner. All right, well, Bonnie, welcome to Commodity Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Lou. I hear you recently just got back from an overseas trip. Is that right?
1: I did, yes. I was um, very fortunate to be one of of 10 Australian ag representatives to go over to France uh, as part of National Farmers Federation delegation, uh, where we got around key ag regions and uh, got the chance to meet with farmers and, and industry leaders as well as some government officials. And, um, yeah, really get an understanding of, of how uh, the French farming community works and, um, and and also for them to learn from us as well. Yeah, I'd imagine
0: there would be some pretty big differences between the two. What what would you say were some of the key learnings that you took away from it?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good, interesting point because while we do have pretty different production systems and it was fantastic for those of us on the delegation to, to get the opportunity to go on farm and, and learn about some of those practices that happen, um, particularly in Europe, And we we did have a mixed delegation of people that included people from the dairy sector, from beef, from grains, from wool. Um, So while we've got quite different production systems in some respects, what we actually all came away with was uh, probably a a good feeling of the fact that we we have a lot more in common um, in terms of the issues that we need to deal with globally, especially when we're talking about sustainable food uh, production um, and food supply systems so we we feel like there's a lot more to be gained from working together and being collaborative on some of those key issues that we face we we actually one of the farmers that we we went and visited um he's he sort of said we are more clever together which which became a bit of a resounding theme across the group um you know we're going to be up against as far as agriculture goes um, some pretty broad issues um, that touch all parts of the world and if we're working together on those things we're going to have much better outcomes than if we you know try and go it alone so massive opportunities for collaboration Um, I think the other thing that came through really strongly was that you know French producers very much like Australian producers they're very passionate about what they do they want the best outcomes for their their uh, farms, their families, and their communities as well. So um, I think that was quite infectious in, in terms of that passion coming through for what they they do and what they want to achieve. Um, and yeah, one thing they do really well is tell that story. Um, and I think we can really take a lot from that in Australia with regards to doing that better. Always we have some fantastic initiatives going on, but they really talk about the love affair between the French people and agriculture. And so um, I think there were some good takeaways from that as well
0: yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point about you know some of those challenges we're facing. it's It's the same regardless what country you're farming on around sustainability and and some of those other issues. So you know it sounds like an amazing opportunity to get to hear from the other side of the world on on where the differences and similarities were on on some of those.
1: Absolutely, I, I think that's really the key going forward is is really forming these these good relationships between farming communities across you know international borders. It's I think the way of the future, and, and collaboration is always something that we need to strive to do better. Um, and it's it's a really great initiative, things like this, which get you know producers in, in touch with other producers that always can yield fantastic outcomes. So it was a, a great opportunity to be involved, and um, definitely I, I think you know if producers out there get the opportunity to embark on on tours like that I would strongly recommend it because it's it's really critical
0: yeah absolutely and look one of the other things we wanted to talk about today Bonnie not just the trip but was the the free trade agreements because you know we're we're all about new market access opportunities here in Mercado we've uh, had a strong you know strong industry that's grown on the back of these these market access opportunities in our export markets over time. So what can you tell us about some of the uh, agreements that Australia is pursuing with, with new opportunities overseas?
1: Sure. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a great intro because, uh, you know, lamb in particular, sheep meat what story in Australia is such a success story, um, you know, since the the explosion of export markets. And um our reputation worldwide for being um you know a supplier of very high quality um safe product uh and so yeah of course part of the strategy is to continue to not just grow market access but diversify into key um key regions as well so uh well everyone would be familiar with the discussions that have been going on around the access into the uk and um very pleased to hear that royal sense is uh being given to the bill just recently so the next step will be um getting through the final stages of of um approval with regards to the parliamentary processes in the uk um so very soon hopefully we'll get that deal secured and and look at entry into force shortly after that so that's that's very exciting uh we've of course got the um interim arrangements that have come out of the the india trade deal which is again a fantastic opportunity and Um, it's a point worth making that the opportunity globally for sheep meat is really immense. And we see that with uh, developing markets and the growth of particularly middle-class consumers around the world and and where we might be able to grow our our market share in those countries. But um, the EU obviously is is the big one um, that we're involved with at the the moment. Uh, So the next round of negotiations will be happening at the end of April. And um, really, I think if you look at, EU as a as a key market um we've got pretty different consumption that varies across the different countries of the EU um and very much I suppose a consumption that's linked to not only just seasonal production that happens over there but also you know your big occasions like Easter which is traditionally when you have those that land come online um and uh, so I think the deal that we're looking to sort of grow is just um you know, greater opportunities to provide that market with Australian lamb. Um, probably previously, we um, have had limited ability to respond to you know consumer demand for lamb products in those countries based on the, the current quota and, and tariff arrangements. Uh, so, uh, you know, what the industry is seeking out of out of the negotiations will be a more modernised access that gives us the ability to provide um you know particularly lamb when consumers want it um certainly our priority at Sheep Producers Australia is really two key things and that's to make sure that we keep as many people producing sheep as possible and that's not just in Australia that's everywhere and we're we're involved in the Global Sheep Producers Forum to drive that initiative but the other key one is obviously to keep people um oh to increase the amount of land that's consumed around the world and um that's increasing lamb no matter where it comes from so we want to see lamb on menus um, as often as possible and so really being able to provide uh, a high quality product um, when consumers want it um, and when it can't be met by local production is the the key priority and driver out of um, these trade negotiations so uh, we're really looking forward to seeing where they land And i know they're wanting to try and get this deal sort of um, wrapped up towards the middle of the year so we'll see
0: it's very exciting and Bonnie, what does the, the EU consumer of sheep meat look like? Are, are they big consumers of lamb? Um, is it a growing segment of the market over there or is it is it fine dining? What does it look like?
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, again, depends where you, um, which countries you look at in the EU. Obviously, there's a little bit of a diversified profile there. Um, and as I said, some have a, a bit more of a stronger tradition around eating lamb, just based on where that ties into different cultural preferences. Um, we see the predominance of consumption in, in Western Europe, unsurprisingly, so um, obviously France and Spain, uh, Greece, though, is, is a key consumer as well. Um, UK goes without question with this, t- technically after the divorce, I suppose we don't really refer to them as uh, EU anymore. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, when I was over there, it was interesting to see what sort of sized cuts and things were were available on the menu. and you know, I, I think, um, interestingly there, and not surprising to, to probably a lot of listeners, you know, there there is um, probably a strong interest from the consumers over there around the health um, benefits of eating red meat or otherwise of eating red meat. Um, they're interested in animal husbandry practices and animal well-being, as they refer to it over there um, and environmental issues and how that all ties into their diet preferences. So I would say um, consumption of red meats probably um, in recent years and, and over the time has fluctuated a little bit and probably sits um, less than what we see in Australia in terms of consumptions from a, from a kilo per, per person per year basis. Um, and so but traditionally you're seeing lamb in a lot of the food service industry type areas, so on on um, restaurant menus is where you'll see it. Um, but what I was going to say before was in terms of seeing it in the supermarket, um, much smaller cuts of meat available for sale. So um, where you might have a pack of cutlets too is a pretty normal serving size that you might be able to buy in a supermarket. Um, that being said, there's there's legs of lamb that are usually there available in the freezer. But again, they're tied to sort of more occasion-style eating. So um, certainly a lot of people have tried it. Um, we always think of the EU as an opportunity to really grow that, that consumption. And again, it's about um, helping people give people the confidence to cook it at home and experiment with it um but certainly you know price becomes a factor in terms of buying patterns as well and um they're also a market that is quite interested in quality um a lot of questions that i had over there um which i wasn't quite expecting to be the, the dominant topic of conversation was just around the quality of our australian lamb in particular um, so you know they just want a good eating experience every time
0: I think that's something we would like to think we can definitely offer every time. Absolutely, <laughs> but it's it is interesting because the the the, um, the profile of eating has changed so much over COVID. You know, the the increase in, in at home cooking is definitely something that we've seen in those um, red meat markets. So it's interesting to hear that that's sort of where where you're seeing it fit as well over in the EU. One of the things when we think of the EU market, it you know the the sustainability and the environmental credentials conversation definitely comes into it. And I think there there are some concerns around the animal welfare conditions that the EU is proposing to have as part of this trade agreement. Can you sort of explain a bit about those concerns and um, you know whether they have a good understanding of the Australian production system? Yeah,
1: it's a good question. Um and certainly I, I think the trip that I've just been on has highlighted the opportunity for us to improve the shared understanding between between ourselves and, and the EU on what goes on. Um I mean I would say that both countries are are incredibly committed to making sure that we've got high animal welfare standards and continuous improvement across the industry. Um we're really proud that, you know, Australia has the Australian Sheep Sustainability Framework, uh, which is there to demonstrate um, I suppose how we're tracking against sustainability targets and and sustainable production um, procedures and and things like that that are included in the framework um, and being very transparent about our progress against those. Uh, But certainly you in my discussions with sheep producers when I was over there, um, I I would say not a very strong understanding of um, how our production systems differ. And they are very significantly different. I mean, we have our extensive grazing operations We don't shed our livestock and we we do things very differently but we we do that for very clear reasons and so a lot of the conversations that i had around um perhaps some of our animal husbandry procedures and things like that probably not a clear understanding of the exactly the challenge of the blowfly that that presents and that the differences in um climatic regions that we have uh, and the breeds across australia that make it um you know can't quit some of those animal husbandry procedures called turkey you have to have a um, very strategic way about going about moving away from those practices so um, there's certainly an opportunity for you know continuing that dialogue around why it is we do what we do um, down here and also over there as well they're facing similar challenges particularly from from consumers uh, around things like animal welfare and the environment so um you know in terms of what we'd be looking for in the the trade agreement it's really around just having that shared understanding um of things like sustainability and welfare food safety traceability and having an ongoing dialogue that's you know the sort of standards that we would expect um that sit in the agreement not uh, not some agreements that look to impose one set of standards on another country and that goes that goes both ways so that's what we will expect will come out of the agreement and, and basically what was achieved in the Australia UK free trade agreement so that's the outcome that we're seeking there but again it's telling our story and, and doing that effectively and and transparently and looking for opportunities to do that so um, yeah I, um, I think there is a good space for that and that's one thing that we'll be looking to continue with in the lead up to well as these negotiations continue and, and beyond that as well
0: I'm talking to Bonnie Skinner today on Commodity Conversations. And, look, Bonnie, you know, Sheep producers Australia have a lot of different priority areas that they're covering, but biosecurity and traceability are one of the the real important ones for our industry. And I was in South Australia last week spending some time with producers, and there's certainly a lot of interest around the plan for EIDs. So where are we up to with this in Australia?
1: sure and yeah it's one of those things you know those of us that work in in peak industry councils and we, we have been involved in discussions around a move to a national EID system for a very long time and and I appreciate um and certainly some of the feedback that I've had is is where you know where is this all come from it just seems like it's all so rushed um just by way of context I mean those discussions have been taking place for a very long time and um certainly our organization through consultation with our members and, and producers has supported a move to a national EID system since 2019. And that was that was after really looking at um, Victoria's implementation of, of EID down there and uh how effective was that is that system working? Um, and is it enough to to justify the move to a national system, which um, certainly the confidence that we have as a as a peak industry body was enough to justify that move. Um, it was always going to be sort of the more challenging part of the conversation once agreement was reached to work out the nuts and bolts of implementation and um, again you know cost to producers is a a key area of discussion that we engage with with the production sector on this Um, and it is fair to say that you know in terms of a traceability system producers are you know through the purchase of tags and and other equipment are up for about 50 percent, roughly of, of all of the implementation costs and ongoing costs with maintaining the system but that being said um, the production sector gains massive benefits out of the implementation of, of traceability and you know, being an export nation, we're incredibly dependent on those systems working as best as we possibly can. So um, the last little while has been involved with um, a lot of interactions between industry groups, state and federal government groups uh, with the, the federal government has established what's called the Sheep and Go traceability task force uh, about midway through last year. And so, um, the role of that group is to really assist uh, and, and coordinate discussions on an implementation approach to EID across Australia. Um, now, we've got a lovely federated system, so each state and territory uh, has sort of taken a slightly different approach in terms of the timeframes around implementation and, and just how it wants to do that. And some states are a little bit more advanced than others. Um, And and our our hope is that we basically at the end of this uh, still come out with a very nationally harmonised coordinated system. Um, so I, I suppose in terms of recent discussions that have been happening between state and federal governments, um, there is this co-funding discussion. So how do we equitably um, and sustainably fund the implementation of this system, but but also the ongoing maintenance of it as well. Um, so at the moment where things are up to is that state governments are putting forward funding requests to the federal government to access um, a, a pool of funds that's been allocated for you know, implementation of EID um, and there's an expectation that those those um well the funding requests that's put through from state governments will be matched by the federal government. So those negotiations are ongoing and um we hope that there'll be some announcements on that soon as to what each state will be doing to fund um its rollout. So that's the key component in all of this. We're also looking at ways at Sheep Producers Australia that we can perhaps um find ways that might be able to assist with the the, the price of tags for everyone in Australia uh, and also key initiatives around communication extension because as we know that's really the cornerstone of any change management practice and um, something that you know sometimes isn't done very well so there's sort of some priorities from our perspective as well with regards to implementing the system Um, So it's ongoing, basically.
0: (laughs) And um, I think that was a really important point there about the cost. You know, the current environment um, and and the heightened costs of of farming here is is a big one. So um, it's good to hear that that's sort of part of the process at the moment is looking into what what opportunities um, there are in in helping manage that at a producer level. but what about the timeline for these is it is it set in stone yet have you got the dates or still a work in progress
1: oh the timelines yeah <laughs> it's our favorite topic of conversation so ministers um the, the agricultural ministers uh, who meet on a regular basis the their announcement around the time frames was that uh, everybody should be working towards the 1st of january 2025 implementation timeline um, now there's slightly different approaches being taken to what that means for for each state uh, and certainly we advocated for a very consistent um, implementation time frame across states and territories because our our concern is uh, i suppose confusion between states and especially if if you know two states share a state border <laughs> um about when, when am i supposed to be tagging lambs at what time and news and wh- what am i doing you know um Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet, but most states uh, are working towards, I suppose, turning their system on in terms of um, sheep leaving the property uh, of of origin from 1st of Jan 2025 as needing a tag. But you really will need to look towards uh, the individual states. Um, New South Wales will basically uh, look to start tagging 2025 um, and, and be fully tagged by 2027. Um, but each state is a little bit different. So you have to watch that space. But we do have a landing page on the Department of Agriculture website, which has the sheep and goat traceability task force communiqués that come out on a regular basis. Um, and so hopefully we can use that as a bit of coordination point for what exactly is happening with implementation timelines. But again, it's a hot topic.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look at, Bodhi, I just want to get a feel as well, talking about the traceability and you've, You're speaking a lot with all these different countries that are looking um, to, you know, to to access our sheep meat and hopefully, how important is good traceability to them?
1: I I cannot overemphasise enough the importance of traceability and our links to our market access that we have and that we hope to continue to secure. So, um, you know, fundamentally, we're producing food for people to eat Um, you know, through the course of that animal's lifetime, hams included, you, you know, as part of your husbandry procedures, you're drenching, you're vaccinating, you're, you know, know, doing everything that you need to be able to do. Um, And then we want to be able to provide that product to the world. So what our trading customers really want to know is, um, you know, everything that's done to produce that animal, but also can we trace everything that's gone with that animal from its, you know, property of birth right through to slaughter? and um, how quickly is your country, and for example, Australia, if there is a problem, how quickly can we trace back to that property of origin or to that processing facility if there's an issue? Those things are intrinsically linked in the trade agreements that we develop, and our reputation, again, is is world-renowned for providing a very safe product globally, um, but also that we've got systems that demonstrate that we can get on top of problems should they ever arise very quickly. they are looked at extremely closely and um, it is very imperative that we have these systems working as best as they can. And, you know, one of the, one of the big things that has been coming up, um, you know, as part of, I suppose, concerns around implementing AID, there's, there's been a few people calling for, you know, tagless movements of lambs. And, and again, um, you know, for the lamb industry and, and lambs that have these basically chemicals applied to them, which you need to do as a part of raising them. Um, that that needs to be traceable through the food supply chain so it's it's critical that we have that um and obviously the the other flip side not just the food safety side is our ability to respond in the case of an emergency animal disease that's you know food safety and biosecurity the two two reasons why we have these systems and that's also um something that's discussed with trading partners as well is you know if we have not just a food safety incident but an animal disease outbreak um, these systems give us the ability to to bounce back as quickly as possible and so yeah, they are of critical, critical importance and that's why so much time is spent, you know, determining what is the best system. It's it's not to make producers' lives more difficult, it is to actually give producers the complete benefits in the global marketplace.
0: Yeah, and while while we hope we don't have to test it anytime soon, we've seen <laughs> countless times overseas, you know, the, the implications of a disease outbreak and, and if they don't have their traceability right, How how that affects their market access and trade. So it's good to hear that there's such a robust process happening here, and you know some really exciting opportunities on the horizon as well with the the free trade agreement. So thank you so much, Bonnie, for spending some time today to talk us through it.
1: Thanks so much, Liv. That's it's been great to be on. And the one thing I'll leave you on the uh, the EID is that. FMD is fast, but EID is faster. That's a little kind of phrase that's been termed by a few people around the <laughs> at the moment. So we never have to test that out.
0: <laughs> that's right. Uh, good to hear. All right. Thank you very much, Bonnie.
1: Thanks very much.